listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. I just forgot for a second that we didn't have Tom Lang. <laughs> 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 Who am I again? I'm Tom. <laughs> I was literally about to say, I'm Tom Lang. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Isaac in our headphones, fact checking and on the line, ready to take your calls. 1-300-361-241. Call us up and give us your petty, cynical pea brain reports on why job seekers don't want to work for your garbage business. <laughs> <laughs> is that the is that the actual hotline for job seekers? Yes, it is. One three hundred three six one two four one. Give us a call. Don't waste our time, though, please. That's illegal and immoral. Hello, is this the line for licking the boots? <laughs> <laughs> the most Australian thing possible, honestly. Yeah, we will get to it a little later on. But the main takeaway from so much of this episode is: holy shit, some Australians just love being cops and love licking the boot clean. Love it. <laughs> I, I, I won't get into it too much, but like one of the funniest things I saw this morning was just some guy yelling at Yarra Trams being like, why aren't you enforcing <laughs> mask rules? <laughs> like all these people on the tram without masks. Yeah, like really going into it. Travelling down the 96 heading southward at 8.41 and there is at least three out of seven people not wearing masks. Where are the cops? Yeah. yeah. Th- this tram should be more crowded. That's what I think. <laughs> With police officers. Have you thought about passive aggressively staring at some people. That's what you do on public transport to, to get your way. I've legitimately been on a tram with having a woman yelling at someone for not wearing their mask this week. Yeah. If you're bloody friggin' if you're on a tram and people aren't wearing their masks and you want them to wear a mask, simply do what a normal person does and fake a coughing fit. Yep. <laughs> I was just about to say, coughing politely has never been more effective at getting people to wear masks on a tram. Like if you're sitting there and people aren't wearing a mask, just keep lifting your mask to cough into your elbow and then just (laughs) (laughs) it's it's okay okay. I'm waiting on test results it's fine (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to a barbecue store it's fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm just doing some errands I just need to go to Bunnings off your tree (laughs) (laughs) I've had such a funny social schedule for the last couple of weeks that I cannot wait till mine gets publicized and everyone can see what an insane (laughs) Saturday I have I can't wait to get COVID. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be all worth it. You know, you can just just post it. You don't have to wait to get a debilitating disease. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yes. But that's not as fun. No, (laughs) it's absolutely not as fun to have like Vic Health or New South Wales Health in a big official thing writing out, yeah, laundry, 9 to 12. Kebab store, 1 a.m. Kebab store, 2 a.m. Third kebab store, 4 a.m. <laughs> Bunnings, 9.30 a.m. Like, fucking Just legend. really wanted to get the right kind of hummus on my kebab, okay? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's keep the good vibes rolling. Uh, the cop that beat up the kid in New South Wales that we reported oh on back in episode 22, he's been charged with assault, which seems like the- The bare minimum and yet again highlights the fact that cops are reactive instead of preventative. But this is this seems to be the best outcome in a shit situation, I guess. It's really rare for a cop to get charged with assault. And I I think this one sort of speaks (laughs) to it because, I mean, when I when I I saw this story and I was like, oh, hey, that guy actually got charged with assault. That's, you know, astonishing considering like there's a video of him doing the assault and going around. And it was a very, you know, public thing of him, you know, just, like, going up to a teen who had, like, made some, like, mildly smart-ass comment and just kicking his feet out from under him and, like, making him eat the pavement and just, it's, it's, it's just a fucked, 
assault that was on camera that went viral that it, it's like, oh, he actually got charged nearly a year later. Yeah, they drew it out for it's, as it's- long as they possibly could. <laughs> Oh, boy. (laughs) This is episode 22 we first talked about that. It's episode 70 fucking one and we're a weekly podcast. It's nearly a year. (laughs) You know, I reckon if I kicked someone's feet out from (laughs) under them in a way that was on video and just- Do do you reckon it would take a year for me to get charged? I don't know. Depends on who you you assaulted. If you assaulted a cop, no. But no, I mean, this is is just the last point on the, the cop that beat up the kid in New South Wales. It shouldn't be this- It shouldn't be good news at the top of a, like, comedy podcast to riff on that someone who clearly committed assault gets charged with assault. But this is the problem with cops in general, is that, like, McLean, like, when you were talking about it, I just couldn't help but think that, like, the cops are the people allowed to commit assault, and this guy couldn't even get that right. Like, you, you, they have the monopoly on violence. That's their whole thing Mm-mm-mm. in our society. And so, for him to fuck up that badly and for it to result in a, a, a charge, whether it gets convicted or not, who fucking will wait and see. But it is one of those things where it's just a small change in the right direction that hopefully- Like the guy being charged with murder in the Northern Territory for, for killing someone in a, as, as murder. Like, hopefully this starts some- some new conversations around what's acceptable to call the cops yeah. out on, as opposed to like, well, if you didn't want to get assaulted, you wouldn't have fucking mouthed off to the cops. It's like, sorry, he's supposed to be, you know, defending the society he's in. He's not supposed to react like the people he's supposed to protect me from. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, it's just- Here, it's- here I am getting angry about the hypothetical idea of good cops. What a what a dunce I am. <laughs> The, I mean, the thing about it is that he'll, he'll get some training and they'll be like, all right, you know, you're, obviously, obviously you're going to remain a cop, dude. We're not going to fire you just for beating up a kid, right? But just get it right next time. Just arrest him roughly, but don't kick his feet out. Just, just like, get his hands behind his back, take him into custody, and then kill him like a normal police officer. Fuck oh, God. Y- yeah, you have to be more efficient about it. Fucking. Because that is what is constantly fucking happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it, but the police, the the one that we're mad at at the moment because the viral of him merely assaulting an an, an indigenous teenager was the the video that went viral. But (laughs) they murder them all the time. Yeah. So, and they're they're, they're not facing charges. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Well, that definitely got us into the right mood for the rest of the episode, I think. (laughs) It's just, yeah, no, you're right. It's fucking grim, but also sort of good. Fuck this cop sort in particular. Of good. I mean, like, I. <laughs> Where do you go with it? He'll get charged with assault, and then you just get, you know, in the in the sort of quote unquote best case scenario, he just comes part of the sort of you know like carceral prison system, yeah. and he's not. There's no situation where this guy ends up a better person or reflecting on why it's wrong to assault a teenager or understanding the impulses inside Maybe- him that cause him to behave like that. Okay. The only thing that's going to happen to this individual cop is he'll become a worse person in some regard. This is very presumptuous. Fuck. Are you sure he didn't? just get empathy training i was gonna say he just gets lambing empathy training and he's right as rain (laughs) yeah just like tell me about what you learned in empathy training andrew lammy (laughs) yeah no not when there's video (laughs) oh god (sighs) moving on moving up 
So last episode we talked a lot about uh, ScoMo's big old, you know, wants to go to war with China for some reason. Um, and uh, <laughs> this week, in an attempt to articulate why going to war with China would be good, <laughs> he actually described... <laughs> In an attempt to articulate why going to war with China would be good, which, in Morrison's opinion, it's, the, it's <laughs> the man's so fucking stupid. <laughs> I do. I, it's fun listening to you it's try so to, to articulate what, how to describe things. how dumb a cunt he is in the nicest, most articulate way possible. Like you just have to barrel through. He's a pig shit idiot, and this is why. But trying to give him too much benefit of the doubt. Well, not benefit of the doubt. So, but you know what I mean. Like, so, Scott Morrison's narrative for why it would be good to go to war with China is because Australia is very vested in the, uh, you know, independence and well-being of Taiwan. Uh, and China wants to, you know, to sort of sum it up, China wants to annex Taiwan and make it part of China. And Scott Morrison's like, no, 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 no. Taiwan is a beautiful country and it's a whole independent thing and it's not Chinese. And Australia, we will, you know... We'll bring out the nukes and America's nukes to pro- to, to protect Taiwan's independence. Uh, but in a radio interview the other day, Morrison referred to one country, two systems as part of his ideal for Taiwan, which is the principle that uh, China sort of runs Hong Kong under and is <laughs> the principle that China wants to apply to Taiwan, <laughs> the principle that Taiwan is afraid of. <laughs> So, in, in talking, in, in outlining why he is willing to go to war with China, Morrison advocated for China's stance Incredible. on Taiwan. Look, I don't talk about anything to do with, like, you know, so tensions with China, um, purely because I am open to admitting I don't understand the specifics of it. That's fine. I don't have to understand we're all these a things. We're pack of comedians. But yeah, we're just comedians. <laughs> we- we're comedians. We're a comedy podcast. That's fine. We are out of our depth on international diplomacy. It's 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 okay to say so. Um, it's probably not okay for the Australian Prime Minister to admit that, but perhaps don't show <laughs> your hand so hard when or you're your talking whole about like, gunning for war with China. <laughs> that's the thing. Fuck, that's the good. sort of that's the that's the discussion that we hosts of the <clears throat> podcast had about this section where we're like, look, we we don't feel you know, equipped to talk intelligently about the tensions with China because that's a real big thing and we <laughs> we're a bunch of comedians who just read news articles and get mad at them. But <laughs> it really really fucking seems like even we are better informed than Scott <laughs> fucking Morrison simply by virtue of the fact that we give even the tiniest shit about having any of our facts straight when it comes to war with China, which Scott Morrison demonstrably does not. I will, I will jump in there. We don't even care about getting our facts straight about the war with China. We care about getting our facts straight for the sake of riffs for jokes on our comedy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All the rest have that's to be technically make- correct. Yeah, that's that's the one pedantic thing we do is we try our best to make sure that any joke we make is still true and connected to reality. And this dunce with his fucking the international diplomacy, just our one country, two systems. That's one of those countries in the area that China's involved with. It's something like that. Anyway, I'm willing to throw Australian lives away to uphold it. 
Yeah. Ah, okay. Cool. Okay. Good. I, I want to even say that it's not even that we put our best into getting our fact. We put in a cursory effort. Yeah. We have at least one source also- from probably something that looks like a newspaper. Right? That's our, that's Isaac our does threshold. a lot of editing on the back end as well to make sure. <laughs> so let's just cut that. Does your website have a header? Yeah, it's a credible source, right? But- Do we have a better link for that than this YouTube clip? Like, no, Isaac. No, and he's got to no, go back into Google, in. go through fucking archives. Morrison, on the other hand, just- Morrison's just like, I saw a racist cartoon say this once. Because <laughs> he's willing to inflame Chinese relations. He is willing to, like, you know, be on the offensive. He's willing to piss his pants and complain to Twitter about a bunch of stuff. But it just seems like you would, when talking about Taiwan and just the big sore point with Taiwan, you'd, you'd try to get- so the thing with politicians is, I don't know if a lot of people know this, <laughs> politicians spend a lot of time with their staffers and with professionals pretending to be in interviews. And these people will just continue to throw questions at them over and over and over and over. And that's how they get the skills up to do these interviews. So surely at some point, Morrison has been doing these fake interview things and he keeps bringing up one country, two systems. And the people are like, no, no, again, you really need to get that out of your vocabulary. And he's like, yep, too easy. One country, two systems. He would have gotten briefings. Like, obviously- Every minister, let alone the prime minister, would have enough briefings where they've got like the talking points listed out in bullet points. For Scott Morrison, you'd imagine it'd have to be as dumbed down as possible just to make sure that they say the right things and he still <laughs> managed to fuck it up. Like, it, I it, reckon that the talking points are not factual talking points that the, that oh. the, that the politicians of our current government are getting. <laughs> they are party talking points for the media narrative <laughs> that they wish to construct. Nobody's going through any fact-checking process not. because it's the, just the, the, the sort of the main thing that any government say. MP wants to get around is being held to any individual fact. They just want to deny the questions that they're being asked and dodge things. And that's the thing that they're training for. They're not training for being right. They're training for evading questions and evading accountability, which they're still good at. Just Scott Morrison is not used to being in a context where the, the things that he says matter. At all, or get paid attention to by international. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing. Well. He's 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 used to talking to fucking Murdoch, just you know, parrots who will just be like, "Yes, sir, of course." And, and now he's like just barging into international diplomacy and being like, "Oh, I'm just shooting from the hip and saying whatever the fuck I want because I'm the prime minister and I'm allowed." <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get into a war with China because of that. You fucking idiot. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, we were also talking about uh, China's army of shit posters last week. And uh, <laughs> Li Zhenzhou, who is, uh, I don't know, some stooge for the, the, what are they called? The CCP? He's the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman. Yeah, the the the, the, the Chinese foreign ministry <laughs> spokesman. Which, just keep in mind, uh, Li Zhenzhou. Before, before you read this out, he's the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman. He speaks for the Chinese foreign ministry. And yet again, we have to stand. <laughs> I, I don't think standing is right. I'm, I'm happy to see a roast from him, but I'm also being like, I don't know, China's not the good guys here. Absolutely not. You know, you can have the the, 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 the two people fighting. Who's my friend? Neither of them. Yep. But, but. <laughs> but it's a good- <laughs> 
burn and a and a and it's a salient summary of the of the situation. Uh, Lee Shan Jiao said, uh, "Some individual politicians in Australia, out of their selfish interests, are keen to make statements that incite confrontation and hype up threat of war. These people are the real troublemakers. I've noticed that many people in Australia have expressed disapproval on social media. Thanks for listening to the pod, uh, <laughs> saying that such inflammatory language are outrageous and extremely crazy." Yes. Th- yeah. <laughs> also, the the the. The dedicated term of uh, real troublemakers, making it really obvious what China probably think about war with Australia and the the drumming up of the war with potential war with Australia. Stop being a troublemaker. You're annoying. Knock it off. This isn't real. It's not happening. I have to say, and this is absolutely the comedian wading into the waters of international diplomacy here, (laughs) but this quote I actually found really reassuring about the sort of tensions with China situation. This, as a spokesperson for the Chinese government, is not a statement that you would make if you actually had, like, if you actually had any interest in war, because he's he's really downplaying the sort of insults that Australia is throwing at China by attributing them to individual politicians instead of Australia as a nation, as an international actor on the world stage, where if they then did go to war over one of these statements, that's a massive loss of face for Li Zhanjiao and kind of the sort of stance of the Chinese government, because it means they got goaded into a war by individual troublemakers rather than a nation state. And very stupid troublemakers at that too. <laughs> well, exactly. So this sort of, you know, means that their official stance is like, this is a bunch of bullshit sort of pushed by individual actors. It, it sort of it, it does make it embarrassing to go to war over that, yeah. and so I, I think that it's a good. I, I'm I'm happy to see it. I I think it's reassuring, and it, it also calls Scott Morrison extremely crazy, which I'm on board for as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even even people in Australia don't want this. Uh, Saturday Papers cover article this week is, has someone uh, Hugh White, who is a military strategist and academic, who thinks that the Vietnam War was good, and he helped write uh, the Howard-era military strategy, so he's extremely horny for war. Even he doesn't think that this is a good idea, which I don't like saying that out loud, because it's self-evidently not a good idea. Why, why is this, the conversation is fucking ridiculous. But even he, even he said, as, as a quote, uh, Hugh White, military strategist, an academic with a big boner for war, quote, they need to stop talking about going to war and start rethinking our approach to China from the ground up. They may see themselves as Churchill in 1940 fucking <laughs> standing resolute before a foe of implacable evil. God, they probably do. Quote, but they are more like the hapless statesmen of 1914 stumbling into an abyss with no idea of why they were fighting, but with a growing certainty that whatever the reason, it could not possibly have been worth the cost. And there were no nuclear weapons in 1914. What do you just if, when somebody comes out who thinks the Vietnam War was good, be like war with China would be bad. Like, <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. Uh, every time I think of like someone who's being horny for war, I always think back to that article that Caleb Bond wrote um, a couple of years ago, where he was like, "What yep. millennials need is just a good old fashioned war." It's like, okay, Caleb, tell me about the excuse that you're going to use for not being conscripted into this good old war that you really want. Like, just a sprained ankle. It's also like, what are you talking about, Caleb Bond, you little shit? (laughs) A good old-fashioned war does not exist. Like, there's no way that 
you know, we, oh, we're going to get in the trenches and... D-. Like, that's not how wars are fought. They're fought remotely now. They, you get the drones out. It's just a different thing. It's him cosplaying as a boomer who thinks that, like, you know, to really, like, you know, a, just a bit of angering up the blood with war is what, like, you really need, need for a healthy millennial constitution. Oh. Yeah. Look, Caleb Bond, if you want to cosplay as a boomer, just die of a heart attack. (laughs) So this week, there was a funny little article that uh, appeared, which made me annoyed at first, but also just made me laugh at how people wildly overreacted to thinking that the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission was actually quite dumb. Um, (laughs) Let me explain. So, an article came out in ZNet, which is like a technology sort of website, and talking about uh, news in IT and um, technology developments in Australia. They published a statement by the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission who said that encryption is something that a law-abiding citizen would not use. <laughs> now, I want to explain the context of this because in and of itself, that is a very stupid statement. Um, let me just say the exact words they used, which was um, these platforms that use encryption are used almost exclusively by SOC, which means serious and organised crime, groups and are developed specifically to obscure the identities of the involved criminal entities and enable avoidance of detection by law enforcement, the ACIC declared. They enable the users to communicate within closed networks to facilitate highly sophisticated criminal activity. So basically what they're saying (laughs) is that the WhatsApp you have with your mum is criminal and you shouldn't have it. Almost exclusively criminal actors there. Exactly. (laughs) I also regret to inform you, dear listener, that you downloaded this MP3 over an HTTPS connection, which you've done a crime. Uh, you've done a crime. You've done a crime. <laughs> this is oh. sometimes what we ask of our listeners in the actions or shout outs could be considered criminal by someone like Dutton, for sure. <laughs> Get out there and protest for a greener future. Ooh. All right. So I, I don't want to assume um, anything of our listeners, but an action for you in oh, case you don't understand what, cri- what encryption is, please like- Read the Wikipedia page or something, but what you need to understand. <laughs> need I won't assume anything about fucking idiot listeners. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to understand is that encryption basically runs the entire way that we use the internet in a secure fashion. Everything that you use for online banking, encryption. Everything that you use for DMs, encryption. Anything that you use to Ooh, sort of- <laughs> That's not really true there on the DMs. Okay. Most of the DMs Some are just DMs. plain text. I'm sorry. But like <laughs> if you look at it like a URL and it's got HTTPS, there is encryption involved. Yeah, the S stands for secure and it means that the connection is encrypted. The whole means by which we use the internet, including government services- bold type there, is Mm -hmm. all using encryption. Yeah, so mostly criminals. Yeah, mostly criminals. (laughs) You you gave the example of the banks and the governments. (laughs) So far, (laughs) kind of with the ACIC on this. The reason why I wanted to bring this up specifically because it is such a stupid statement is that I saw people going like really like, oh, I can't believe they would say something this dumb. The point of this particular statement, to give it some context, is that it, these comments were made in a submission to Parliament, to the, in fact, to the Parliamentary Joint Committee um, on Intelligence and Security. So this is part of the inquiry into one of a range of bills that is being put before Parliament before. We've talked about it on previous podcasts. Um, there's a couple of different bills in front of Parliament at the moment that involve um, 
your safety and your the way you interact with people online. There's um, bills to do with surveillance. So this one is to do with the surveillance legislation amendment, which is called the Identify and Disrupt Bill of 2020. Um, this is a very contentious bill at the moment. Um, and the reason why ACIC has made this submission in my sort of like, you know, opinion of the way in which this is written is to basically lobby very dumb politicians who don't understand encryption and say, actually, it's just for criminals. So you want to give us <laughs> as much power as possible to overcome <laughs> encryption so we can see what people are doing on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to, it is a mistake every time. Like, you know, I'm, I, we allude to this quite often, but it is a mistake to assume that someone who is in a position of power in parliament knows what they are doing about every subject, <laughs> particularly to do with technology. I just have a little quote that I want to read out for an advocate of um, encrypted uh, messaging. Uh, he, he says, um, probably the least secure form of messaging is SMS or text messaging because the messages are not encrypted in transit and they're not encrypted on the telco server. And of course, they reside there even after they've been deleted for varying periods. I personally use Wicker as an application, but I use a number of others. I use WhatsApp. They're superior over-the-top messaging platforms. That was, of course, Malcolm Turnbull in 2015 <laughs> <laughs> talking about how he uses encrypted messaging services to talk to all of his MPs because... Everybody should. Everybody and he's a criminal. Should. He's an yeah, organized criminal. criminal. <laughs> They're not wrong there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just, uh, another thing on the on the other side of the coin to what Evie's talking about is remember that whole thing with George Brandis trying to describe metadata and what that actually <laughs> is? And when it was coming across of like, no, we need to monitor everything. Why? What's Because terrorists use metadata, right? And metadata is a piece of information. It's pretty big. It's meta. And we need it. So don't worry though, because we don't. We only have your metadata. So what are you talking about, you fucking large bowling ball of a man? <laughs> it's just this like just smooth-brained, smooth-headed people ev- throughout all, but both sides of the of government. You, I, I, I honestly think you are one hundred percent right, Evie, in that. This is like, hey, big, big, brave boy, you don't like criminals, do you? You'd hate for criminals to have access to stuff. Well, we, we've got some powers we think might stop it. But, hey, if you want to be responsible for some pretty bad shit coming up later on, and, you know, if maybe you want to use this for benefit later on as well, this could help. But, ah, look, it's up to you. It's up to you. Don't Just worry about it. Just want to say as well, like, not only are you lobbying very dumb politicians who don't understand what encryption work, but most importantly, if this bill b- passes, it would hand the AFP as well as ACIC, who wrote this very submission, three new different kinds of warrants for dealing with online crime. So it gives them more powers. So yes, there is a very specific reason for writing this. Yeah, nobody actually cares about encryption or how technology works at any point. All they want to do is just have enough of a veneer for handing increased police powers out Mm -hmm. that, that it's like at least plausible. They're like, oh, well, you know, this guy said that it was used by criminal organizations, so I voted yes. Yeah. Uh, even though my own personal understanding of encryption and security is like, I get my emails printed out for me so that I can put them in the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> and and, the, and these warrants are very, like, far-ranging as well. Like, it allows you to disrupt the flow of data. Um, the second warrant that they have is a network activity monitoring warrant, and also there's an account takeover warrant. This is one of the most contentious parts of the bill, which is basically the the sort of cliff notes is that it allows these kind of intelligence agencies to overtake your account and act as you. 
I want you guys to know if this bill passes and at any point I start acting like, you know, um, talking about how great the ACIC is and how much I want to join the AFP, <laughs> you're going to know that canary has died. I just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I was just reading a thing um, this morning about uh, undercover cops in the UK who were like, um, hooking up with women in the, you know, scenes oh, that man. they were infiltrating. I think about it all the time. That's an environmental activism. Like, you know, there's loads of, like, um, lawsuits that have happened in the last few years where for decades women were in relationships with undercover cops. Yeah, which is just the, the most depraved and disgusting thing and it, it really is so horrible. And then, you know, you're just going to see, like, as soon as we get the account takeover laws in place – we're going to see ACO agents hopping on, taking over people's account, and then sliding into other people's DMs. It's going to be gross. When we joke about things being a psyop, we're going to have actual psyops. <laughs> we're going to have actual psyops. Now. <laughs> no real psyops Finally. Yet, but like- <laughs> uh, if you want to understand the different kinds of bills that are in front of Parliament at the moment, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to Cam Wilson, who's written extensively on the topic, but we'll put this in the show notes. He's written a really good primer on Crikey about all the ways in which the government's wants to change how you use technology and your privacy um, online as well. So give that a shot. Love a primer. I'm a big idiot. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) The Dob Seeker line is up and running. Uh, You probably heard about this now for the last little while. The the Liberal government, after not raising people out of poverty with their social security payments, has also set up a hotline wherein... The worst Australians in the country, those that own um, businesses, uh, <laughs> because I'm a communist. Um, Small business tyrants, baby. Yep. Can now also give in to their worst impulses and call this hotline up and genuinely dob in a job seeker who has come through, who has applied for a job, and they can, they can, uh, I'll just, I'll just read a quote here. The hotline allows employers to report job seekers for declining or voluntarily leaving a quote, suitable job, demonstrating quote, misconduct during a job interview or failing to attend one and submitting a quote, inappropriate job application. So we're just leaving the interpretation of that up to the business owners. They can just, if they just don't like how you acted during a job interview, they can say that that was misconduct through it. If I, I, I watched one of these fucking uh, Channel 9 like bits on this, and I really definitely shouldn't have. But it was some fucking cafe owner talking about, oh, I had these people come in with these resumes and it was just, it was nothing on it. It was like they didn't care. And you, yes, they don't care. It's a fucking job at a cafe. They probably don't have relevant work experience and Centrelink is making them apply for 20 jobs a week now or whatever. Fucking, it's gone up from 15, whether it's a fortnight or a week, it's still too many because there's no fucking jobs. But how sanctimonious do you have to be as a business owner to just be like, mm, I didn't like the shoes you wore to the interview or, or, or. <laughs> I run a completely dog shit business that no human should ever work at and someone turned it down, but I think it's suitable. Mm, government, I want to report someone and have them cut off from the only payments they get to support themselves. You are a cunt if you use this line unironically. You are just straight up a miserable cunt. Yeah, it's bullshit. We've had lots of situations where there's like, um, employers who hilariously come out to the media and are like, oh, I have these jobs going, 
but nobody wants to take them. And when I'm not even just talking about farmers here, I'm talking about cafe owners and stuff like that too. Um, in the last mm. like you know six months or so, just around the time for like you know job seeker ending. And it's just really funny because they immediately get found out of like the circumstances and what they're allowed in their offering. Like it's just like a job that makes no sense in terms of wages or fair compensation. There's always uh, employees who complain about them and who are just talking about how they get treated like absolute shit. So whenever Mm. it's such a great red flag that has been established now that whenever any employer is complaining about either lazy employees or not being able to hire anyone, you instantly know that that person is full of shit. Like there's definitely something else going on. And within like five minutes, you'll find something. Yeah, Mm. 100%. It's just that the amount of spite in in the call to a job seeker line is just astonishing. It's like the interview is done and they haven't taken the job. You don't have a relationship with that person anymore. But you're still like, I'm going to make sure their Centrelink payments get cut off. Even though I have no interactions with this person anymore, no reason to ever see them again. Yeah. It's just putting hate out into the universe. But also specifically because the the only people you can dob in are the people that are currently on social security. So they're the people that are forced to send out as many resumes as possible. So they're applying for jobs that they don't want, that they might not even be fully suitable for anyway. So you have even then a higher chance that they're going to turn the job down or they're going to have quote unquote misconduct during an interview or not be able to attend one because they've got to attend 20 potentially. Or they are sending out 20 inappropriate job applications because they don't have time to sort out into an appropriate job application all the different ones they can send. So, yes, you're going to get more, quote unquote, problem interviews. But like you said, also, who gives a shit? Don't be a snitch. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, Here's another thing that I was just thinking about. Like- I like my job. I've liked most of my jobs like in recent years, but also I'm a bit older and out of the sort of like entry level things of like drudgery of retail too, um, which sucks. And oftentimes I've had to go back to retail too because you got to put food on the table and it sucks and you don't have to love your job. I hate Mm. the idea that these people require you to be passionate about your job when Let's be honest, I'm not passionate about working at Chemist Warehouse. No. I'm not passionate about working at the local cafe. It would be it's weird if you were. And like, I, I, yeah. I'm good at, like, I'm great at customer service. I'm good at putting on a smile on my face and talking to people and being really nice to people who are nice to me. But it is not my passion to dispense vitamin D capsules to some <laughs> grandma every morning. It, and it's just the, the idea that these people get so fired up that, in the middle of a recession especially, which is just makes matters so much worse, that people will go for any job, one job, anything. During the, during the financial crisis, literally anything. I will take anything that requires, like, you know, me to get a pay packet and I will put on the face that I need to get that money uh, because otherwise, mm. uh, you know, I'll starve. Or, like, you know, like is the case for so many people who try to get Centrelink, sometimes you make the decision of, actually, I would rather starve than have to deal with the system. But then you have these little, I I call them like, you know, small business, like tyrants, people who are small business owners. They're like really petty tyrants in which they need you to cater to their whims, including being grateful for the scraps that they Mm. give you. And it's just endemic. And that's the kind of attitude that feeds this sort of job seeker thing of like, this person wasn't grateful enough to my sort of belief 
and I'm going to dob them in. I also want to just talk real briefly about the, the, the your line there of like, oh, I'm a little bit older. I'm out of the sort of like, you know, but drudgery. I could go back at any time. Jobs. That's the thing. Like I have this... I have this uh, I have this feeling in the back of my head of at any moment my industry could fall apart and I could be back there and I'm always like you know you always have that thing in the back of your head if you've been in retail and you know how hard it is to just sort of turn up for work every day get your paycheck go home like you're always going to have that you know it, it's it's always that yeah. scarcity unless you're like properly in the capitalist class you are simply not immune to that Ever. Like, there's that whole thing of, like, if you're, you know, nobody's one good month away from being a billionaire, but everyone's one bad month away from being a a, a homeless, right? Like, I am also, you know, I'm a professional. I'm, uh, you know, quite good in my field. But, you know, a car clips me when I'm out of my bike. I get an acquired brain injury. I can't do my job anymore. Now I'm on the NDIS. I have to like you know oh uh, well, maybe like, you're oh, not, I'm sorry you we can't be. approve your your disability payments because your disability is not temporary yeah. so you are just on regular mode job seeker you have to apply for jobs like you are not immune to that yeah you a- a- anytime you hear about like oh job seekers you know like the- these fucking doll bludgers being demonized blah 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 like that is potentially you four weeks from now you have no unless you are a multimillionaire you have no guarantees against that so just yeah. just to be clear in case we didn't in case we didn't make it very obvious when a petty tyrant calls up this hotline they open a review on you and you it could result in you losing your payments completely i just want to make that super clear this isn't like a oh you'll get a check against your name or they'll maybe review the business as well and see where it went wrong you have your payments at risk because of this fucking hotline and and let's be honest too like all of us have been in jobs where you just know that when you're you're secretly applying for a reference for the sorry for a, for all other jobs to get out of the shitty job that you're in and sometimes you get asked for a reference and you're like fuck I don't want to let my boss know that I'm looking for another job because I can't rely on them to give me a good reference just for the sake of being petty and you know you're just racing through your head thinking about who can I ask who can I trust to help me get out of this bad situation. It, exactly the same principle here. Do you think anyone who's in a bad job who wants to quit is going to be treated well by these kind of employers? Of course yeah. they're going to lie. They're going to say definitely, well, they left because they wanted welfare. Dock them. Yeah. Well, here's the yeah. thing, though. Statistically, all of this is under the frame of the fact that this doesn't even really happen that much. Um, uh, Kristen O'Connell from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, who fucking always just does the best work. Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's um, awesome. It just pointed out on Twitter recently that last year, with 1.1 million people on JobSeeker, they reported that 114 turned down a job. 114 total out of what? the entire country. Total. Out of 1.1 million people on JobSeeker. What is that? Like a, like a couple of thousand over a month? Basically it's- nothing. Basically nothing, and yet they are putting this forward as some sort of fix for a problem that doesn't exist. What also does happen, though, is that people s- stay in jobs that they're not suitable for to make sure their payments don't get cut off, and they fucking die. That has happened a number of times on unsuitable workplaces with shit bosses. These people are too scared to speak up, they're too scared to go against their employer, and they're too scared to leave this bad job, and they have acquired massive fucking injuries, or they've died. But yeah, let's just let, let's add another level of fear on top. This is just reminding yeah. me of something. Um, when you get your ta- after you submit your tax return of a year, um, this only just started. I think with either 
possibly Tony Abbott, um, when you get your tax return back, you get a little letter um, that's like, you know, pro forma letter from the ATO. But in recent years, they've had a little graph as to what your tax money gets spent on. And it's very simplistic. At the top of the graph is a big, big, big bar that says welfare. welfare yeah. And of course, when they say welfare, they're referring to all sorts of welfare for people in need. We're talking mm. pensions. We're talking about disability. It's not just job seekers. Not corporate welfare, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, of course, when you just badge it as a big bar that says welfare, that's mm-hmm. orange and above the rest, of course, every boomer who's going to look at their tax return is going to go, oh, I don't <laughs> want to support all these people on welfare. Monocle it's, pops it's off. Ver- it's very much a conditioning exercise. And, you know, it's part of just every sort of opportunity to just punch down and shit on job seekers. Um, I want to give another shout out to Stuart Robert because I hate this fucker. Um, (laughs) So he is the uh, employment minister and he's been all around selling this dog shit phone line. And this is from SBS. He's quoted as saying, one of the reasons for the national employer line is to say to Australians, you have a responsibility. You just can't sit on the job seeker payment and expect your neighbours to cover that lifestyle. I just want to remind everyone listening that Stuart Robert once charged taxpayers nearly $38,000 for home internet data, which he did later pay back. So that's that's pretty good. Didn't know how to set it up and get that going for himself. But $38,000 for home internet data. Um, And he also once, it seems like, made his dad the dummy director of a company that held shares in Stuart Roberts' IT service business, uh, which itself has, uh, or had at least, tens of millions of dollars in government contractors. And a dummy director, if you don't know, is when someone, usually a scam artist of some sort, usually that's who it is, puts a director (laughs) in charge of a company and and that person doesn't know that they're the director and then they're on the hook for all of the money and the liability and the damages if that company collapses or if there's any any criminal charges come up against the company. The dummy director takes the fall and not the people that are actually running it. It's usually done by scam artists. But also, it looks like Stuart Rob that Robert did that to his dad one time as well. So, Yeah, he's a government MP though, not a scam artist. Yeah. It's a different. You thing. can't just <laughs> sit on the job seeker payment and expect your neighbours to cover that lifestyle. No, Stuart Robert, you should expect your fucking father to. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that Stuart Robert is very well across the ways to get the taxpayer to fund your lifestyle. <laughs> this is the last point I want to make on this: is that even the Australian Retail Association opposed the hotline. Even the the association of petty tyrants are like, "Mm, no, I don't believe this will demonise my workforce properly or whatever it is they want. The actual quote, I was paraphrasing, the actual quote from the ARA (laughs) chief exec is, the mutual obligation requirements for job seekers need to be fair and measured and assist those on the job hunt to remain confident and in good mental health. We are concerned about the unintended consequences of having a hotline to report people who decline job offers. This may lead to bogus claims and add to the stress some people face in their search for employment, which could ultimately undermine their confidence and their employment prospects. From the Australian Retail Association. Their argument is basically it will make people worse employees, which is technically correct, but also very funny reasoning. I think that I think that the warning of that, like, oh, this is going to destroy the brains of people on welfare just by having this hotline and fucking Stuart Roberts like, yeah, job's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's looking at us like, but why is that reported as being critical? I thought this is what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ju- it's, ju- it's just garbage. And I'll let everyone listening know that it is very illegal to knowingly call that line to waste its time. 
But if you have had somebody come in and do a very silly job interview for your real employment that you're offering, make sure you tell the job seeker line about that at length. (laughs) (laughs) So last year, um, when RoboDebt um, came to an end, quote unquote, not really, um, there was a class action um, held by Good and Legal for on behalf of um, a select number of RoboDebt recipients, um, and it was settled out of court. Uh, now there is a lot of complaints about um, how that was settled. So Luke Rodriguez Gomes, who has written extensively about RoboDebt, in fact was the first person to break the story, um, who has been covering the complaints um, to the RoboDebt settlement, he has reported in The Guardian this week that hundreds of people have officially objected to the settlement and saying, you know, basically the same thing we said at the time, which was that the settlement was not any form of justice. People received maybe about 100 bucks and their settlements, sorry, and their um, robo-debts cancelled. But considering the amount of time and misery and just the amount of work that people have done to try and fight these robo-debt claims, it is not enough. It's not any sort of justice there's no sort of even really a real apology or admission that they did anything wrong and it looks like that it's just going to happen all over again either with Centrelink regularly or even with JobSeeker and JobKeeper. So it it's just doesn't seem like that this is over yet. And this is the first yeah. time that I've seen like a class action being objected to, the settlement being objected to in this sort of strong regard to. Yeah. So it's, it's fucking very good. interesting. Yeah. I think to, to to clarify, when we originally <laughs> when we were originally talking about this, we were saying that it was a bullshit settlement. This is um, RoboDebt obviously cost many, many thousands of people, many, many hundreds of thousands people of dollars. People took their lives. And some of them, their lives. Uh, and the settlement that was reached was to pay back some of the people like a couple hundred bucks. Um, we were saying it was bullshit at the time, but we were not pioneers in that stance. We were just reflecting the commentary from the people in the settlement um, who were already saying it was bullshit. They have now brought that criticism into court and we're seeing hundreds of people basically just, yeah, saying, this sucks. We we want actual accountability. We don't want 180 bucks. We want this to not happen again because the government is clearly interested in doing it again. We're already seeing other programs being rolled out for other welfare things to do automated data matching to catch people in like, ooh, bad payments yeah. or whatever that that have exactly as much sort of authority behind them as the, the RoboDebt original data matching thing is, which is to say none. They just have an algorithm flag some things based on assumptions and then try and claw back money from them using debt collectors, driving people to suicide, uh, and they're just going to do it again. So it's really good to see that these complaints are actually being heard uh, and hopefully the settlement well. doesn't go through and the architects of RoboDebt, including Stuart Robert, get their day in court uh, and no, getting your day in court's a good thing. They <laughs> they receive the you know the the <laughs> the complainants get their day in court, um, and can actually hold the ministers responsible for this accountable. That's that's my hope, and it's a hopeful thing to see. Let's 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 continue to hope. It's just it just sucks watching so many people go to this robo debt settlement with their complaint, and the I'm not saying this is the reporting being done wrong, but what is being reported from both the judges and the lawyers and the QCs and everyone involved, they are hearing these people say 
my son took his fucking life when he got this, or I stopped eating for a week when I got this fucking robo debt. I don't want this shit settlement. I want to take this all the way to court. And I was told it was a slam dunk case, so I want them to face justice. And a lot of the people involved in the legal side of this are still talking about how, yeah, mm, maybe we should see these complaints about the RoboDent settlement. Maybe it's not covering enough. Maybe the settlement should cover traumatic losses as well. And maybe it, should ju- it shouldn't just be based on the money that was paid back. Maybe it should be some sort of emotional settlement too. It's like, no, they take them to court. This is the, this is the thing. Mrs. Mrs. This is my- Big brain, galaxy brain take on the whole thing is that you remember that Bill Shorten lost the unlosable election and then was relegated to the dipshit corner of parliament and he needed some sort of win. And this was a cause taken up by him after a bunch of robo-debt activists um, were fighting this for a very long time. He jumped on towards the end and went, oh, I could get in on this and I could make a bit of a name for myself again. And he worked with Gordon Legal on getting this class action lawsuit together. And they were never going to take it to court fully. I think Bill Shorten from the start said to them, let's push them into a settlement as early as we can and let's make sure that we take this settlement and it doesn't go to court because there's no fucking way someone from the federal Labor Party wants someone from the federal Liberal Party to go to court and to be found guilty for mistreating Australian citizens because if you set a precedent that that can happen, then the Labor Party is fucked as well unequivocally fucked as well if that happens. So from the jump, this was a way for Bill Shorten to puff himself up and to get some political wins and to show the Liberal Party he was still a pretty effective operator, show the Labor Party, oh, don't count me out, I'm pretty good, and had nothing but contempt for the people who are actually involved in the class action lawsuit. I, just to close out this segment, want to remind people that there is precedent for governments uh, facing consequences for mistreating their uh, poorest citizens. Uh, and that is the uh, French Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, I was drinking and spat water on my mind. <laughs> you fucker. My mechanical keyboard. Shout outs this week. First up, and always, the Sun French Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> Learn how to build a guillotine. Secondly, it's a fun craft. <laughs> sign up to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. You set up a recurring payment, do it. Should have done it already. If you've done it already, maybe do another payment just while you're listening to this. Oh, but Evie, I'm employed. Am I allowed to sign up to the Unemployed fuck Workers you, Union? Fuck you, sign up. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't fuck you. If you're interested in signing up to the Unemployed Workers Union and you are employed, they have a solidarity membership that you should sign up for. That's the one. You're the one with the money. Pay it. Mitch. I'm still genuinely just getting, I'm still just trying to get water out of my mic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This one is a little uh, niche, but I think it is actually extremely important in a broader sense. But the Professional Tattoo Association of Australia and the Australia Tattooers Guild have a petition going at the moment to make the Queensland government aware that something that they did was totally fucked and that they actually should have listened to them when both of those groups put forward submissions. It's a, it's, it's a fairly complicated situation, but essentially there's been some evidence to suggest that certain coloured inks used in tattoos cause cancer, potentially, after they're lasered off of people. 
And so in Europe and America at the moment, there's all these reviews going into it. And so in some areas, the ink's been taken off the market, blah, blah, blah. And the Queensland government has just jumped on this as quick as they can and be like, you're outlawed, you can't do it. They're saying that you have to get all these different certifications and stuff and to be able to prove that you've got the certification. But a lot of the suppliers for all these inks don't give those certifications out easily. We import a lot of our ink, blah, 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 blah. The main reason I want to point this out, though, is that what we have seen over and over and over again in most Australian state and federal governments, but especially in fucking Queensland, they absolutely love passing laws against people like tattooers, like bikies, like sex workers, like people that are on the quote unquote lower rungs of society that they don't think people will care about. And then later they use those laws to really clamp down on people they don't like, like environmental activists and stuff. It's so true. You might remember the anti-association laws that were passed about bikey gangs and we're trying to crack down on bikies. And then they've been disseminated out into all these different groups of people that they just don't like. And they've done it again. They are acting with impunity against all these different imports and inks and all this sort of shit. But they didn't listen to the professional bodies who take care of tattooers because, of course, they didn't because they don't fucking respect them. So we're going to put the petition in the show notes. Please go sign it. Share it around. It's very important to make sure that the people that actually know what they're fucking talking about have a say in how things work in this society. And also, like, if you like tattoos or you have a tattooist in your life, I would actually really encourage you to read about how fucked Australia is when it comes to licensing and, you know, protecting tattooists and their jobs in this country. It's actually insane. Considering how more mainstream tattoos are becoming now, they're still not protected. Um, I actually, I, the only reason why I know about this is because I was talking to Mitch's partner about this while I was getting my own tattoo (laughs) (laughs) and she was explaining to me just how fucked up it is to try and get like, you know, a properly safe studio and, you know, regulation can be good, but also just the kind of laws that they pass to, you know, uh, in the, the, in the sphere of like, you know, tattooing is just ridiculous. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's mostly just directed at, you know, preventing gang activity, but it's very broad to the point where it, it disallows people from having normal jobs and having, you know, mobility in their jobs too. Yeah. So yeah, just learn yourself up. You might learn, you know, you might find something interesting and something that you want to support as well. So sign the petition. Finally, last little shout out, uh, the Rahugala or Rahu Gala, the- Is that how you say it? Rahugala. Rahugala. Yeah, oh, baby. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying Rahu Gala. <laughs> I, you, you can have that. That's fine. The social committee have <laughs> decided that it's pronounced Rahugala. Um, the Renters and Housing <laughs> Union are having our first birthday on May 22nd. So if you're in Melbourne, come on down to Trades Hall. You got to get tickets because it's still like there's, there's still um, density quotas and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But it's going to be really fucking fun. Um, Rahu's been around- What's the dress code? For a year. The dress code is proletariat <laughs> chic. And if you're a landlord, you're not allowed to come. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'll be it's just it's just a big celebration because we've had some pretty fucking massive wins. And listen to me talking about it like I've been involved the whole time. I'm part of Rahu because of this fucking podcast. Because we had Jim on who told us about the Renters and Housing Union, and then we had Holly from the Renters and Housing Union on, and then I'm like, fuck, I should join Rahu. And then I was in Rahu, and I'm like, fuck, Evie, you should join Rahu. She's like, oh, f- fucking yes, I should. Yeah. And so now, now it's just like, yes, we have done some amazing things this year, like join Rahu. Um, and so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a celebration. It's gonna be a whole lot of fun. So go on to the website or the Facebook or whatever and grab some tickets and come along to that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. That's our name, Not Good Enough. Not Not Good Pod. 
that's just our social media accounts. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we don't really care. Call us not good pod. Call us not good enough. It's all the same shit. Get in touch with us at notgoodpod at protomail.com or notgoodpod at all the socials and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think our name is. It's not good enough. <laughs> not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to the elders past, present and acknowledge that their sovereignty was never ceded.